0: Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the PackerNet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy app. So I sort of took the day off Saturday and Sunday, but I'm kind of just working on other projects. I guess I had time to do both, but I chose not to, all right? So don't worry about it. On Saturday, what I did was start to work on a little bit more of my video-type work, which is kind of like the podcast, but, you know, with video and, like, you know, one topic. It's, it's a video. And the point of that is to kind of build up the Facebook page slash YouTube channel, both of which are very, very small. But again, it's kind of my goal for this year is to kind of build that up and not change direction, but expand what I'm doing. So if you're interested in that, first of all, again, Packernet Podcast Facebook group, Packernet Podcast Facebook page. Um, On Saturday, I did a video kind of just showing or expanding on what I've been talking about with Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. And I'm going to be talking about that a little bit more today, especially after doing the video, it's kind of a little bit more ingrained in my mind. And also there's some questions, comments about that, so I want to elaborate a bit. The YouTube channel, it's a little bit confusing, but it's called Packernet Podcast. So, um just I, it, it doesn't really matter, but if you're kind of more of into video type stuff, like, for me personally, I do a podcast. I haven't listened to podcasts in a long time. I don't know. I just, I can't. It's just one of those things, man. Sometimes I'm listening to podcasts from the second I wake up throughout the entire day, which I wish I could do. I just, I can't get into it. I've just been on a music kick. But the point is, when I come home, I'm on YouTube pretty much all day. So for those of you that are YouTube-ish, maybe you're a podcaster on the day, YouTube in the afternoon, guess what? I got you covered, man. Go check out Packernet Podcast on YouTube again. Get in the uh, whatever. And then on Sunday, I did a mock draft because I do some draft work. On top of it is it is a video. I posted that in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group, so you can find that page if you want to follow over there. Otherwise, Pack Daddy NFL is that YouTube channel. Yes, it's a lot. That's my problem, not yours. Just saying, if any of this is interesting, this is where you find all that stuff. So on YouTube, you got Packernet Podcast and Pack Daddy NFL one is for Packers, one is for the NFL Draft. And no, at this time, I have no intention of merging them, because the NFL Draft channel is much bigger, and they will all get mad at me if I just only talk about Packers over there, so. Hey, anyways, that's pretty much it. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, links are in the description. I've been babbling long enough. Let's get started And let's actually talk about um, Mr. Jordan Love, because I got a comment. Don't know who from, but it's a text message says, hey, Ryan. Talking about quick release of the football, let's not forget Love had 17 interceptions compared to Dalton's 14 interceptions last year. I had mentioned that he has a quicker release than Dalton. Another Trubisky take it easy on the green Kool-Aid. First of all, sir, the Trubisky take? You stole that from me. I'm the one that said he reminds me of Trubisky. So I don't know what Kool-Aid you're talking about. But let's elaborate a bit. First of all, Jordan Love had 17 interceptions. Everybody understands this, and everybody's saying that's the reason he's a garbage quarterback and he'll never be good at anything. He had 17 interceptions in 2019 after he had a brand new coach, a completely new and horrible offensive line. He had nothing to work with, an entirely new scheme, etc., etc., etc. Let's also point out that in 2018, he had 32 touchdowns and 6 interceptions with a 158.3 passer rating. So yes, things did fall apart when he lost his entire team and his coach and everything that is involved in it. So I mean it's it's fair to be concerned about twenty nineteen, but it's unfair to not acknowledge twenty eighteen as though it didn't happen at all. Thirty two touchdowns, six interceptions. At Utah State. I mean, this isn't like Tua to Tungavailoa who has five literally five first round draft pick wide receivers on his team as well as first and second round running backs, first and second round offensive linemen, uh, a world-renowned Hall of Fame head coach, one of the best defenses in all of college football. No, this is Utah State with a bunch of freshman offensive linemen because all of his offensive linemen were gone. Andy Dalton, by the way, has never thrown 36 touchdowns in a season. College football season is shorter than the NFL season. And he has never thrown less than seven interceptions in a season, which is to say touchdown to interception. <laughs> Jordan Love has more touchdowns than Andy Dalton has ever thrown and less interceptions than Andy Dalton has ever thrown. And no, he's never thrown 158.3 passer rating. Also, Dalton still didn't throw as many touchdowns as Jordan Love did last year. So again, 2019 stats are concerning, which is why people said he needs to sit which is what he'll be doing in Green Bay. So maybe he's going to be a Trubisky. Again, that's his floor. If, if this is a problem, if this is a serious issue with Jordan Love, he's never going to be a good quarterback. And he will be a Trubisky, and this was a bad pick. But again, I don't want to completely give up on the guy because he threw a lot of interceptions one year. And by the way, I think he threw like five picks in one game. He was a horrible game. Everything was going wrong in that game. But again, that that kind of really messes up the whole average but there's one other note that I want to make on this that is different than Trubisky. Not necessarily meaning he's going to have a different career or that things can't go equally as bad, but the interceptions are entirely different. If you look at Mitch Trubisky, the thing that scared me, and again, I said this exact same thing about Andy Dalton, or uh, about, <laughs> about Jordan Love. The thing that scares me is he looks like a brilliant quarterback. He is throwing unbelievable passes. Pinpoint. He is very decisive. He is working his way down the field, and then at the most inopportune time throws an interception and that's what scares me because it doesn't matter how good you are if, if your drive ends in a pick and we see that from Mitch Trubisky all the time he starts working his way down the field and it's like oh man here we go he's gonna have his this is his big comeback he's gonna be his big turnaround it's gonna happen against the Packers I can't believe this and then he throws a pick and it's like oh there he is he's back the biggest difference though is when Trubisky makes those throws those interceptions a lot of the time not every time but a lot of the time when he does it it's just a pass that makes you go, what in the world was that? Where was that even going? The accuracy, the decision, like there's not even a guy over there. It's a massive overthrow, underthrow, behind the head. It's just terrible, terrible throw. With Jordan Love, it's almost every single time a bad decision. It's not an accuracy thing with him. And I'm sure you can find situations where it was somewhat of an accuracy issue. But usually, he'll he'll look over to his next read, see a guy open, throw it, and not realize the defender's squatting on it. He's baiting him. I feel like that's something you can teach. If, if your problem is accuracy, what are you going to do about that? That's the problem with Trubisky. You can't coach that. You can't teach him how to be accurate. When one in every 20 throws is just a horrible throw, I don't know at this point in a guy's career how you teach him to not be so horrible at throwing a football. Jordan Love, his accuracy is unbelievable. It's just the fact that his processing is a little bit off, and especially considering he's asked to be quick, 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 quick. And sometimes when he's quick, and also the other problem is he trusts himself too much. I think I can fit it in there. I think I can make that work. And I think sometimes, and and learning from Mr. Cautious himself probably isn't going to be the worst situation in the world, because Aaron Rodgers, this is kind of the whole point of the video, is the exact polar opposite of Jordan Love. Jordan Love sees that guy covered and goes, eh, you know what, I can get it there. And it's not that it's a bad throw, it's just that it was a bad decision. It's not that it went sailing off over the receiver's head right into the safety's arms like Trubisky, it's the fact that he sees a guy, throws it, and then the linebacker who was just waiting for him to do it jumps the route. And I saw some Packers pundits on Twitter trying to say, well, that's a scheme. It's not a scheme issue, that's a Jordan Love issue. Don't th- No scheme forces you to throw to a guy who's being covered. Don't blame that on scheme. That's on Jordan Love. He needs to get better at that. And again, I don't disagree. If he doesn't get better and he's throwing this many interceptions, he's never going to be a good NFL quarterback. There is a mental processing problem. And if that can be fixed in the two years, three years, four years that he's sitting behind Aaron Rodgers, then we've got a great quarterback on our hands. If it can't be fixed, this was a bad pick. That's all it comes down to. And if I've been unclear on that, I apologize. I'm, I'm, before the draft, I was very negative. Now, I'm trying to help very negative Packers fans see the upside. And so, yes, it does come across as Kool-Aid-ish. But again, make no mistake, I, I'm i the one who said he's a Trubisky right now. And in a different way, which means it, it is, in my opinion, probably more solvable than Trubisky. Because again, just errant passes once every 20 throws... I just don't know many guys that get that fixed, right? Your, your feet are planted. You're not under pressure. It's just one of those throws. You sit there and go, what, what, why, what, what are you doing? I just don't see that particular thing getting fixed, but learning to take a half a second and realize, hey, there's a guy squatting here. Don't throw it. He's baiting you. I kind of feel like over two years sitting on a bench, you can figure that out three years, four years again, whatever. I'm, I'm not trying to make an argument that Rogers is gone in two years. I'm just saying he's going to be on the bench, probably a minimum of two years. So that is my full thought. On Jordan Love. And I do think it's correctable. And I do think outside of a couple errant, not even errant, again, er, errant decisions. And again, go watch the video I made. It's, it's in the Facebook group. It's on the Facebook page. It's on the YouTube channel. You should not have a problem finding it. I went very in-depth on Jordan. And it, it's, again, it's all visual. This isn't just me making stuff up randomly. I'm visually showing you what I'm talking about. So it's again, it's not Kool-Aid. That's just my full thought on the subject. But if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt in year one, I think it's going to be a nightmare. And I think it's going to be best case scenario, Trubisky. I got a uh, another text message that says, Larry Warford just got cut by the Saints. Do you think he would be too expensive even for a year with the Packers? I am pretty stunned by it. I didn't really read the reasoning behind it. But he's a pretty good football player. He is getting up in age. The reason I don't think it's going to happen, aside from the fact that the Packers are pretty well capped out, they're... they're I think they've spent the money they intend to spend. I also don't think they're going to go out and pay for a guard because I think if you pay for Larry, you're going to play Larry. And the problem is we already paid for Billy, and so the attention is to pay Billy. And we drafted replacements, but I think they're more of let's kind of grow them right now. They're going to be back. I know a lot of people think that they're going to start year one. I would be surprised by that unless they're very, very good, like Stepaniak. A lot of people think he's an instant plug-and-play But I think that's mostly just fans doing what fans do. These are late-round picks, and the idea that sixth-round picks are going to start week one over a guy that we're paying a ton of money to to play guard is very unlikely. It's also very similar to, remember how much hype there was about Cole Madison coming in and being this elite guard, and he's going to be really, and he was a fifth-round pick. And there was never any doubt that he was going to come in and just be this great player, and he's kind of just, I mean, he's still on the team, but he's kind of just disappeared into obscurity. Nobody's even considering the idea that possibly he could start at guard anymore because we've moved on. Now it's Jake Hansen, John Runyon, Simon Stepaniak. These are the guys that are definitely taking over. Again, Billy Turner wasn't great, but I think the Packers like him and they want him to be the guy. And again, they've spent a lot of money on it. I think backup plan is we got three guys in the sixth round and if maybe one of them can step up and be awesome, that'd be cool. More than likely, two out of these three don't even make the team. Hopefully several of them do. It's not like we have great backups anyways. But again, it all kind of follows that same logic. We, we, it just kind of muddies the waters. Again, if you pay him, you got to play him. But then what about Billy? We're paying him a bunch of money to do what? And then what about the guys we drafted? I, I think if there was a more well-defined hole... In other words, let's just say instead of Billy Turner not being very good, it was Lane Taylor. Or not even Lane Taylor. You know, if Taylor was just gone. Let's just say we cut Taylor and we just didn't have a really... Oh, no, there's... What am I talking about? We got we got Elton there. Corey, you get what I'm saying, though, right? Let's say we cut Billy Turner and Lane Taylor, all right? So we just have a hole. And we drafted John Runyon, Jake Hansen, Simon Stepaniak. That's a situation where I could see maybe getting Larry Warford because he's going to come in and he's going to start. In other words, he's gonna be the starter and it's gonna give these three guys in the sixth round some potential to learn and to grow. And then after this one year, hopefully one of them can step up, but we'll at least have a year to evaluate them, and if that isn't it, then we'll go out and try to find somebody else. We don't have a well defined hole. We have Elton Jenkins, we have Lane Taylor, we have Billy Turner. And we have three sixth round pick. And we have a lot of money invested in Billy Turner. I just would be stunned if we got Larry because it just again, it just kinda muddies the waters, even if he is better than all of them and he probably is but the other factor is he's 29 years old and who knows how much money it's going to cost so again they don't want to spend the money they don't want another guard I don't think and they certainly don't want to pay a 29 year old I mean 29 year old offensive lineman in Green Bay is the only thing they want to do with those guys is find a way to get them out as fast as possible so I do like where your head's at because I think he could come in and be the best guard on the team and be an instant starter but I think from the Packers perspective there's just almost no way wouldn't be mad if they did it, but it would also be kind of confusing and frustrating because, again, we spent three first-round picks and a bunch of money on Billy Turner. Not that I'm happy about that, but it's kind of like admitting defeat from the GM's perspective, which is another reason why he won't do it. To say, look, Billy was a mistake. Also, I made a mistake with my three picks in the sixth round and have no faith in them and basically did that for no reason. Right? Like, what, what are you doing? Why did you waste three picks I know they're six-round picks, but you spent three picks and you're giving up on them already? And you're giving up on Billy Turner? And we can pretty much just guarantee that Lane Taylor's gone? It would just add to an off-season that has a lot of people shaking their head at the Packers right now. He's made decisions. He's got to live with them. And, he, you know, Larry Warford is not living with those decisions. and saying, you know what? I messed up. Let's just hit the reset button. So, he's a good football player. He's not coming to Green Bay. And then, uh, finally, as far as the voicemails go, I got another call from Andy... He wanted me to kind of elaborate on, actually, I, I never really talked about it, but mention the fact that the Packers got really good value by trading up from 30 to 26 and only giving up their fourth. Basically, according to the the trade value chart, and I'm using the updated one, not the old uh, chart. This is based on more recent trades and whatnot. Basically, in order to get from 30 to 26, the Packers would have... The correct value was about an early fourth-round pick. We gave up a late fourth-round pick. In order to make the value worth what it's basically worth, it would have cost probably a fourth and a fifth. And so, yeah, the the Packers did get very good value. They they obviously only had to trade uh, the fourth and not the fifth. The one funny and interesting thing about this is apparently they were on the phone with Seattle and had a deal in place and then made the comment to Seattle on the phone, hey, look, I'm sorry, we got a better deal. I got to let you go. See, the response from Seattle was, it happens, and that was the end of it. The funny thing is, to get from 30 to 27 is a fourth round pick. So I'm guessing they offered them their fourth round pick to get up to 27, which is a good value. Talk to Miami just to see, hey, would you guys take a fourth round pick? And Miami's like, yeah, sounds good. So they're like, all right, hang up that phone with Seattle right now. We got a better deal. It's essentially what happened. So it is true that we did better from a value standpoint. But again, when you kind of just say, out loud, what happened? Moving up to 26 is Earth an early fourth. We gave up a late fourth. And essentially, with our fourth, we got one more pick in value. In other words, giving up a fourth gets us from 30 to 27. We managed to get up to 26. Now, when you say it the other way, we should have given up a fourth and a fifth to get up there. It sounds like more, but, you know, like on this chart, it's once you get past, I don't know. I mean, it just, it drops off exponentially. Basically, a fifth-round pick really isn't worth anything, and that's kind of why it sounds like more than it is. But it is true that we got some pretty good value to move up. But again, the value we gave up should have got us to 27, and we managed to get to 26. So however you want to slice that up in your mind, great value, not a big deal. I'll leave that up to you, but that's just the reality of the situation. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break right here. We'll come back and talk about some other stuff. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. So this is from quite a while ago, but there was a question, and since we mentioned him, we might as well get to it. If we decide to move on from Lane Taylor, what kind of trade value do you think he's going to have? Now, usually, again, kind of a fan thing, we tend to overestimate. Like, oh, maybe we get like a fourth form or something. The only comparable trade that I was able to find recently was Marshall Newhouse. In 2018, keep that year in mind, in 2018 he was traded for a 2021 conditional late-round pick. That would be the equivalent of us getting a 2023 conditional late-round pick. I think at best, based on what else I was able to find, it would be a fifth-round pick. But the oldest player I was able to find at his position that was traded for a fifth-round pick was 25 years old. Lane Taylor is 30 years old. I don't think we can get a fifth for him. The only thing I, I... Honestly absolute best case scenario Gudakunz is on his sell it game if he can sell him to a desperate win now team as a legitimate starter maybe we get a 6th round pick for him that in my opinion is best case scenario let's uh just to kind of solidify this and again a lot of this is that's my opinion you guys make your own opinion let's look through some of the information here Last year, October, the last time a guard was traded, the Cleveland Browns traded Austin Corbett to the LA Rams. They got a 2021 fifth round pick. So again, this would be like us getting a 2022 fifth round pick and Austin Corbett should be noted 24 years old. Now, is he as good as Lane Taylor? No, but 30 years old is a problem. So again, absolute best, which I doubt could happen. Fifth round pick, but even this is two years out fifth round pick. Very unlikely um also in 2019 the vikings traded danny isadora to the miami dolphins they did get a a next year's pick but it was a seventh round pick pick 219 overall the buffalo bills traded russell bodine to the new england patriots they got a 2026th round pick now this one again is kind of where i'm looking at sixth round being best case scenario bodine is 27 he's not 30 but he's also not 24. He's kind of halfway in between. As far as PFF production, they're about on par. I think if a team had to choose between Bodine or Lane Taylor, I think you'd take Russell Bodine. The other option, as several people did, would be to trade for a player. I don't know. I would doubt that would happen. I mean, we did have, for example, in 2018, the Chiefs traded Parker Ainger for Charverius Ward. And then the more popular one would be Cleveland Browns traded Kevin Zeitler for Olivier Vernon, which was a great trade, probably for both teams, because they're both good players. But Kevin Zeitler is light years ahead of Lane Taylor, so we're not getting an Olivier Vernon type player. We would be getting a Lane Taylor type player at a different position. And when you think about what you get from Lane Taylor, which is a mediocre player, where do you want to put it? You want to go get a wide receiver? Because he's not even going to start if you get a Lane Taylor type player at wide receiver maybe linebacker would be my preference, because again, I really just don't know that I trust Christian Kirksey all that much. But then again, you almost would rather just take a sixth-round pick rather than a guy you know is just going to be mediocre because he's been doing it for three, four, five, six years. Might as well just take a shot in the dark and maybe you get lucky on a sixth-round pick. I don't know. But that's that's sort of where I'm at with it. So that's 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 really going to be my vantage point. Really, from there, it just kind of depends what we get. If anything, it's very possible that nothing comes of it, and he just gets cut and we get nothing. But again, if he gets a fifth-round pick, a sixth-round pick, in my opinion, that's that's some pretty solid wheeling and dealing. Because again, he's 30 years old. I don't know how many teams are going to be that interested in him. So don't don't overestimate it. I know a lot of people want to say he's a legitimate starting offensive guard. We should be able to get instant compensation, probably a fourth-round pick or whatever. Not going to happen ever. Never. If it does, he deserves GM of the year. One other thing I wanted to bring up here, again, just completely changing gears, we've talked about how, what does Aaron Rodgers need to do? There's concern that Aaron Rodgers, from, from from me, not I don't think most Packer fans are concerned, I am concerned. Just like I don't know how easily it's going to be for Jordan Love to transition away from what his flaws are, I don't know how easy it's going to be from, for Aaron Rodgers to transition to what it is Matt LaFleur needs. But I do know that it's possible. I know Drew Brees made a a slight change, and again, that's my favorite comparison in modern day, because you have Drew Brees, who's always been a good quarterback, but there has been a transformation, and if you look at his released time to throw metrics, there is a period about three years ago where that dropped. In other words, the ball is getting out of his hand much quicker, and it's not a direct correlation to when the Saints became an elite football team. They've always been very good, but suddenly they are an elite football team. But clearly there's a correlation between that and Drew Brees getting much more recognition. Right, He's always had very good completion percentage numbers. He's a great thrower of the football. But his numbers right now are astronomical. And I think a lot of that has to do with the system that he's in. Much quicker throws, easier throws, higher completion throws. And that's kind of where Aaron Rodgers can go with this. And for a guy that likes to be safe, this is a pretty good um, scenario for him kind of a weird paradigm with Aaron Rodgers where he likes to be safe, but he also likes to take the deep balls, right? He likes to throw the ball as deep as he possibly can, but he has to feel confident that it's going to be there. So it's just, it's a weird thing, but there is another comparison that I find interesting. After the 1994 season, when the Denver Broncos went seven and nine with Wade Phillips, they went out and hired Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan's dad, the originator of all of this stuff. This style of offense, which obviously has evolved over the years, but it all originated from here. That Denver Broncos team that beat the Packers in the Super Bowl, that was this system. And similarly, when you have a guy like John Elway, as they did, they tended to throw the ball a lot more than they ran. In that final year, when they went 7-9 with Wade Phillips, they were 5th in passing attempts, 6th in passing yards, while at the same time they were 16th in rushing attempts, 23rd in rushing yards. That first year under Mike Shanahan, they slowly started to move in a different direction but for the most part still throwing the ball a lot more than running, seventh in passing attempts, 16th in rushing attempts. In the second year, however, they went from uh, they were 16th in passing attempts, second in rushing attempts. A similar thing happened with Kyle Shanahan, by the way. and yes, we are going to talk about Aaron Rodgers, but I want to kind of look at the full spectrum of it. When Kyle Shanahan got in here, he didn't just come in and just rip this thing to shreds and say, we're doing something entirely different. In Kyle Shanahan's first year, they were second in passing attempts, 22nd in rushing attempts. They threw the ball more than just about anybody. Went 6-10 and 10 in their own division. Mike Shanahan's first year, they went 8-8. Eight and eight. So neither of them had very good first years. Kyle Shanahan in year two was 20th in passing attempts, 11th in rushing attempts. So not exactly rushing the ball every single time, but clearly a different direction from a team that passes more than just about anybody to a team that is 20th in passing attempts and 11th in rushing attempts. In 2019, the first year they actually had success and went from being a garbage football team to 13-3, 29th in passing attempts, second in rushing attempts. So it is a slow transition toward a new thing. And this is really nothing new. You can go back to Mike Shanahan with the Washington Redskins. They're willing to use what they have. And what they have is a team that's geared toward throwing. When when Mike Shanahan took over the Washington Redskins, they had Donovan McNabb as their quarterback. Ryan Touraine was their primary running back. What are you supposed to do with that? You're going to take the ball out of Donovan McNabb's hands and let Ryan Touraine run wild on everybody? Now, Clinton Portis was here, but he wasn't the primary running back at this time. They were fourth in passing, 31st in rushing. The Attempts. I'm not even talking about production or yards or anything. I'm just talking about how often they threw the ball compared to everybody else and how often they ran the ball this is a team that throws a lot a lot more than everybody else and runs a lot less than everybody else in his second year they threw fifth they were fifth in passing attempts 25th in rushing attempt they went five and 11 2012 the first year mike shanahan finally got this thing turned around what do you think their uh ratio looked like 30th in passing attempts third in rushing attempts Here, here's the the crux of the, the point i'm making there is no question there is a correlation between when this system starts to take hold, when when the system is operating the way it's supposed to, and when the team starts being successful. Now, um, we went 13-3 and last year. I don't think that was supposed to happen. In the history of of this system, which you come in, you run what you have the best you can, you slowly overhaul the offense to get the kind of quarterback you want, the running back you want, the offensive line you want. Then you start pounding the ball down everybody's throat and you start becoming successful. Now they're only 10-6 and 6 in 2012, but this is a four-win team. They're suddenly 30th in passing attempts, third in rushing attempts. This is RG3 and Alfred Morris, by the way. Another great example, Kyle Shanahan to the Atlanta Falcons. He was two years in Atlanta. Remember, Dan Quinn is, an, uh, is a defensive-minded guy. He was the, the Seattle Seahawks legion of boom guy. So he needs a Really intelligent, offensive-minded person. He snipes Kyle Shanahan over from his from where his dad was. Actually, I think he spent a year in Cleveland, but whatever. They, he and his dad had turned around the Washington Redskins to some degree. Kyle Shanahan went to Cleveland. He didn't like that situation, said he wanted out. Whatever. Dan, Dan Quinn says, all right, come on over here. First year in Atlanta. Remember, this is Matt Ryan. This is Julio Jones. This is a passing offense. Always has been, always will be. Kyle Shanahan comes over. They're 8th in passing attempts, 16th in rushing attempts. Somewhat balanced, but they throw a lot more than they run. 2016, Atlanta Falcons. Matt Ryan, Julio Jones. 26th in passing attempts, 12th in rushing. Now, what else do we know about this year, aside from the fact that they went to the Super Bowl and lost in historic fashion? But we're talking about elite, elite, elite offense. What else do we know about? Nobody talks about the fact that they ran more than they threw the ball. What do we know? What is one of the biggest things that was talked about with Matt LaFleur, who was the quarterback coach of this team? We know that this was Matt Ryan's best year by a mile. And that's what brings me back to Aaron Rodgers. It's not just a matter of ripping the ball out of the quarterback's hands and giving it over to the running backs and saying, let's just run the ball all day long. It's about quarterback efficiency. And it doesn't even lessen the stats, necessarily. If you look at Matt Ryan's stats in 2016, this is... One of the lowest amount of attempts that he's had in the last, I don't know, since 2012. For comparison, 2015, 614 attempt, 4,500 yards. Then 2016, 534, about 100 less attempts, 4944 was his yardage. Almost 100 less attempts, about 400 more yards. 100 less attempts, he went from... 21 touchdowns to 38 touchdowns. Still has not beaten that mark to this date. More touchdowns than he's ever had with significantly less snaps or or attempts. Seven interceptions, which was the lowest of his career. He tied it in 2018, but it's never been less than that. He threw 240 first downs. He's only beaten that mark once in his entire career. His yards per attempt, 9.3. His second highest was 8.1, just to give you an idea of how wildly better of a quarterback Matt Ryan became when the system took hold. So th- that, that's also important to note. Yes, there is more of a focus on running the ball, and yes, there is going to be more running the ball and less passing the ball. That doesn't mean less stats. Not necessarily, it doesn't. More efficiency. Take some of those throwaways, turn them into completions. The same thing is true if we go all the way back to 1996 with John Elway. Although the yardage kind of stagnated, when you look at, for example, his touchdown numbers, if we just run through this, remember 1990. I think five is when Shanahan took over. Just going to let's start at 1990, and no, it doesn't get any better when you go back into the 80s. 15, 13, 10, 25, 16. That's what he did through the 90s. Shanahan comes in 26, 26, 27, 22. He only broke 20 touchdowns once in his entire well, twice in his entire career. 19. 1985 and 1993. 1993 was a fantastic year for him, by the way. He, he His lowest was 22 after Shanahan got there. So again, they're running the ball a lot more, but his touchdowns are through the roof. His interceptions, by the way, are down. And of course, the biggest thing is not only are we helping to make the quarterback more efficient, not necessarily making him crazy with stats but just more efficient we're providing a balance to this team between run and pass so he's becoming more efficient and we have a much more lethal run game to complement this shanahan gives them their their biggest season since what 1991 probably even before that but i think they had like 11 12 wins in 91 now in 96 shanahan's second year they go 13 and 3 they lose that first game in the playoffs heartbreaking all that terrible so very sad but as we know, 1997, they come back, they go 12-4, and again, 20th in passing, 6th in rushing, so they're running the ball more than anybody. They beat the Jaguars 42-17 to in the playoffs, beat the Chiefs 14-10, beat the Steelers 24-21, and beat the Packers 31-24, win the Super Bowl. So again, we can all be mad. We can be mad that we're not going in the direction that we want to go in in getting wide receivers. And again, the Packers were not opposed to getting wide receivers. They wanted to get wide receivers. It just didn't happen that way. But this thing doesn't take hold until it takes hold. The success over in Washington, the success in Atlanta, short-lived, but success. Obviously, it was only short-lived because Shanahan got hired away to the 49ers. The success in San Francisco, which, by the way, took like four, three, four years. The success in Denver. By the way, the success in LA with the Rams and McVay. That was year one with Sean McVay. He came in. I mean this is a team that didn't have very high attempts on either side of the ball because they never had the ball because they had a horrible team. But year 1, 24th in rush and passing attempts, 9th in rushing attempts, they go 11 and 5. The next year it was 14th in passing, 8th in rushing, they go 13 and 3. So I mean the, the bottom line is we're going to go in this direction. This is why we hired him. We want this level of success. Not just because the whole McVay thing was dumb. This has nothing to do with McVay. McVay was was under LaFleur in Washington when they worked together. Sean McVeigh was the tight ends coach. Matt LaFleur was the quarterback's coach. Now, th- maybe they're on technically on the same level of the hierarchy tree or whatever, but come on. Quarterback coach is ahead of tight ends coach. There's no question. I'm sure he got paid a little bit more. The point is, though, when Washington got blown up, they decided to keep McVeigh. They liked something about him. They kept him on. He became the offensive coordinator, so then he surpassed where LaFleur was it just kind of happened that way that McVay kind of got his start before Shanahan but they were bred from the same tree he's not under because he spent what one year as his offensive coordinator suddenly Sean McVay built him give me a break they both studied under the Shanahans they learned from Mike Shanahan and then under Kyle Shanahan who was the offensive coordinator and then again LaFleur got some extended learning under Kyle Shanahan and then went and, and played with Sean McVay And I'm sure he learned quite a bit from Sean McVay because he he became a head coach and had his own style and all this stuff. But everything Sean McVay knows, he learned from the same guys that taught Matt LaFleur. So that whole narrative was dumb. This isn't about Sean McVay. This isn't about instant success. All this stuff the media kept talking about, trying to trash the Packers, saying that, oh, you're just trying to get any old guy that plays for Sean McVay gets a job. That might be true for the Bengals who hired Sean McVay's, I don't know, what was he? Was he the offensive or the quarterback coach for like a year? That might be true there. Matt LaFleur is carrying on a long, long tradition that goes back into the 90s. That's what we brought over. The guy that can implement that history in Green Bay. It's not, It has nothing to do with the Rams. Nothing. And again, we've seen several examples. Sean McVay was the anomaly. By the way, Matt LaFleur is the anomaly. 13-3 and 3 in, his thirst, in his first year? That very rarely happens. Sean McVay is the only other coach that did that. And by the way, that was 11 wins in his first year. Went on to go get 13 wins in his second year. Very unusual situation. But again, the 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 program is we start to build in a certain direction. And that direction is we need to get the offensive line, which if you look at the Rams, if you look at the, the 49ers, one of the first things they did after that first year is go out and target offensive linemen. We need the offensive linemen that we need. We got Billy Turner last year. Wasn't great, but again, he wants to get his offensive linemen. Got some six-round picks this past year. I'm, I'm thinking, again, next year, I'm telling you, Matt LaFleur wants offensive linemen. He wants his guys. Usually, that's year one. But we've had so many other needs, and Brian Gutekunst comes in, and he's trying to fix a lot of problems. And I think he's done a good job, of starting with the defense. Now he's trying to help Matt LaFleur, but Matt LaFleur needs a lot of stuff. He needs offensive linemen, but apparently there was nothing there. We could also use wide receiver, but that didn't quite pan out. He would also like to get a running back that can handle the workload, because again, we're going to be running top 10 in the nfl as far as attempts if not i mean that's that's clearly his intent just looking at how this works you're not going to find a shanahan offense that is not 10 top 10 in attempts 49ers rams all the way back to the early 2000s with the washington redskins on and on and on and on back to denver so we got to get that guy the guy that's going to be able to care, handle that load And we know that's not Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is a great running back. He's not a 20 carry per game running back. And we don't really want Jamal, although he can do it, to be a 20 carry per game running back because he's just, he doesn't quite have the upside that A.J. Dillon does. Let's just say that. And then we got Deguara because he's another piece of this. Again, Mike Pettin wanted certain things in order to make his system work. We brought in Mike Pettin not to just be a guy. Like, here's our pieces. You're really smart. Figure out how to make them work. No, no, no. He comes with a whole program. And he's saying, look, I'm going to run my program, but I need certain things. Here's my needs. And we overhauled the defense to get the guys that he needs to run his particular system. Shanahan's no, or uh, LaFleur is no different. And again, I don't don't think the plan or the expectation was ever 13 wins from anybody, including LaFleur. I don't think Brian Gutekunst had any expectations we'd get 13 wins because that's not how basically any of these things work. If you just follow the history of it, the expectation would be Matt LaFleur would come in here, We would throw the ball a lot more than we would run the ball because that's, you know, generally you just stick with the system. You stick with the guys that you have, and this is a team that is geared toward passing. So you just kind of work with that. You end up getting maybe eight or nine wins, slightly better season than last year. We're heading in the right direction. Then we overhaul the roster, get that offensive line, the running back, the tight ends, all this stuff in place that you need to run your system. You come back, you end up being, you know, 17th in passing, 8th in rushing and you get 11, 12, 13 wins or whatever. And maybe it takes three years like it did for the Redskins or it does for the San Francisco 49ers, but that's sort of the program. 13 wins was never the expectation. And I do think that puts you in a tough bind because the plan is you get nine wins, You you continue overhauling the offense, and nobody would complain because everybody would look at it and say, well, you need to overhaul it. The problem you face now is when you have 13 wins and you're one game away from the Super Bowl, nobody's thinking overhaul anymore. And everybody's looking at you and saying, don't overhaul. Get those extra couple pieces, stick with the system you have, and just, just try to win. The problem is that that's not the plan. And you're kind of stuck. And I'm sure there was a moment where you thought, maybe we should. Maybe we should just have LaFleur kind of run this Mike McCarthy offense style of thing with, a, with you know, this whole blending the McCarthy-Rodgers with the LaFleur and try to find a happy medium between the two. And we'll go out and get you a couple wide receivers and a, a tight end and, and try to make this thing work as it is. But that's not the plan. And at the end of the day, you got to stick with the plan and continue overhauling. And that might blow up in your face. If they overhaul this and they run the ball the fourth most in the NFL, and they're throwing 28th most in the NFL, and Aaron Rodgers is furious, and you're not winning games, people are going to lose their minds. But again, you're not bringing Matt LaFleur over here to run Mike McCarthy's system. You can leave Mike McCarthy in place to do that. This is a long-term vision. We're changing it. And again, the 13-3 thing was a was a fluke. That was never supposed to happen. It's a great thing, and it, it was great for the locker room, and you can see how much talent this team really has. And that's, that's the, the bonus to all this. This thing isn't even running right. And it's still beating everybody. It's, it's ugly, and it's sloppy, and they're still winning. If you remember last year, one of, the, one of the biggest attributes that this team had that it hasn't had in a long time is the will to live. How many times in 2018 did we see Aaron Rodgers trot out there? They go three and out, and the whole team just gave up, and you knew it was over. You knew they were going to lose the game because they just they just gave up already. Aaron Rodgers gave up. The offense gave up. The defense gave up. It's like they didn't care anymore. They didn't want to play. They weren't talking to each other. They weren't celebrating even when they got like touchdowns, first downs, nothing. They just gave up. This team never gave up. They fought to the bitter end. And that right there is a championship mentality. So there's a lot of really good pieces in place. And there is a ton of talent. I mean, can you imagine trying to tear down a race car? And you kind of got it half put together and you got stuff kind of falling off. You know, the wheels wobbling as it's driving. The hood kind of pops up and goes flying off the car, and we still come in, in like third place in the race. And th- and that's the thing. that The question now is, we got this car all half disassembled and tore up, and it's in terrible shape. Do we just put it back together the way that it was and see what happens? Or do we finish rebuilding this? Do we finish taking these last few pieces off and putting it back together the way that we intended? I I, I don't think there's any real answer outside of we have to continue with the plan. We should at least trust... Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur that much to say, listen, if you can go 13-3 and three with your system not even being in place and kind of half running your system, half letting Rodgers do whatever he wants, and we can get this, we should be able to trust that this thing's going to work out. We we know, again, look at how beneficial this system is when it's actually implemented. Look at how much it took off when Shanahan finally got this thing running the way it's supposed to. And of course, he he got very fortunate with being a garbage team for so long they got so many first round picks their defense is out of control it's a massive part of their success is their defense but the Packers defense isn't terrible it's not what the 49ers have it may it may never be but so what they also don't have Aaron Rodgers running this thing they don't have anywhere near the running but they don't even have good running backs and that's one of the benefits of this system as well it doesn't matter the 49ers running backs get hurt a new guy comes in you've never heard of and guess what he's just as good as everybody else that's the same problem the Rams were having the Rams got this elite running back, which makes a lot of sense because you're a run-first team, and then they get hurt and somebody else comes in, and guess what? He's just as good. A lot of this is based on system, and one of the benefits, as I've said before, of having more of a system and the strength of your team being the system is that the players are less important. This has been, this has been critical for a lot of teams. One of the biggest and best things that could happen to an NFL football team is to find a system that doesn't need elite quarterbacks because teams are all handcuffed to these 30 now getting close to $40 million a year quarterback because that's what you have to do if you want to win you got to have a top tier quarterback now we've got some teams that don't really have that that are finding success and a lot of those teams just so happen to be Matt LaFleur Kyle Shanahan Mike Shanahan t- Sean McVay type teams Jared Goff is not a world famous he was he was drafted as though he could be he's not an elite quarterback and outside of a Sean McVay style system he's going to be garbage you go send him over to, you know, Tampa Bay or New Orleans, although New Orleans is kind of running a similar thing, but the, the, the bottom line is send him to some other places where he needs to be the hero. Send him to Green Bay in 2018. He is going to be so bad. The same can be said for uh, G- um, Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, he had success in New England, too. What about, well, New England has a system as well. Very system-orientated. Oriented. Orientationed. All that. Which, by the way, is another benefit to Jordan Love. Because Jordan Love doesn't even have to be Aaron Rodgers. If he is, all the better. But he doesn't have to be. He has to be as good as what, Jared Goff? Pfft. Okay. So so there's a lot here. Right? What's the point? I, there's a lot of points, to be honest. Number one, there's every reason to believe that if Aaron Rodgers, if, if Matt LaFleur can fully implement this system, and Aaron Rodgers is, is a part of that, which of course he's going to be and just does what he's supposed to do. That he's going to be a much more efficient quarterback, and although we are going to be running the ball more theoretically, which probably is going to correlate to less throwing the ball, it doesn't necessarily mean less stats. It may, in fact, mean more stats. We've seen that in the past, right? John Elway didn't have more yards, but he did have more touchdowns. And some of these guys had more. Every, you know, Matt Ryan more everything. Took the ball out of his hand. They ran the ball more. They're now they are now a run first offense not technically i think they still threw the ball more but they're more of a running team than most teams and they were kind of just average as far as a throwing team but yet his yards went up his touchdowns went up his interceptions went down his completion percentage was way up yards per attempt was way up just about every stat across the board was better beyond that the teams all got better once this thing is fully implemented because again Even though the Packers did really well, they did really well with a half-built car. And they do have to pick a path, and the bottom line is the Green Bay Packers picked the path that said, let's just let Shanahan, or, jeez, I can't stop. Let's just let Lafleur finish tearing the car down and rebuilding it. And and the thing is, he's not even really tearing down the car. There's not much to tear down. It's just adding a couple components. And we all wanted to continue building in, in the direction of, of, McCarthy and again it makes sense because we're so close and that one missing piece you can see being a wide receiver but if you're gonna go forward with this and you're gonna be throwing the ball less and when you throw the ball you're gonna be incorporating much more with tight ends and running back the need for that other wide receiver becomes less and less when you're throwing the ball less and you start throwing to Aaron Jones more because you start incorporating him as a more receiving back and you start throwing to Jay Sternberger and you start throwing to Josiah DeGuara and you incorporate your other wide receivers, you can still get a heavy dose of Devontae Adams and not feel like you're missing much. That's not to say a wide receiver wouldn't be beneficial. Of course it would. Again, the Packers were open to it. But if we're actually going to do this thing and try to get the same amount of success that the Broncos had, the Redskins had, the Falcons had, the Rams had, the 49ers had, you got to finish building the car. Otherwise, we're just going to keep floundering and just keep swinging wildly with a half-built car, hoping we can just limp our way in. Forget building the car. We don't need a new hood. We don't need to finish, you know, bolting in the tire. Just add this little component to see if we can get a little bit more juice. Again, the the, the decision was, and I can't necessarily disagree with it, no, we're not going to do that. Let's just calm down. We were close, but let's be honest, it wasn't that close. We were close in terms of being one game away. We're not close in terms of being anywhere near good enough to beat a team like the 49ers. So we need to take a step back get 13 and 3 out of our head, one game away from the Super Bowl out of our head and actually rebuild this thing so that we are a team that can go toe to toe with the 49ers. Because let's be completely honest, if the team continues the way it was, very unlikely we go 13 and 3. It just it wasn't that good of a team. It was very good in times, but it was also really terrible at times. Let's let's just try to get rid of that really terrible. Let's try to make it so that although there's going to be close games, we don't go up against terrible teams and almost lose. We don't, we don't beat the Giants and afterward go, man, this team is horrible, right? We beat the Lions twice after both of those games just thinking, we're not going to win anything. This team is awful, right? Beat the Giants, and it's like, oh, jeez this is ugly. And sure enough, we go toe-to-toe with the 49ers, an actual Super Bowl-caliber team, and get embarrassed twice. The team was close, but at the same time, it's really not that close. So we'll see what happens. And again, Brian Gutekunst took some serious risk. But it was the right decision, I believe, and we'll see how it goes. And, and Jordan Love is a separate risk, right? We could have gotten a different player. We could have got that offensive lineman that Matt LaFleur wanted. We could have gotten a wide receiver. We could have gotten a better linebacker who could have done a lot of different things. So that that is an additional risk on top of everything. But it, it does make sense if we're going to do this. And if we look at the big picture, we got to let Matt LaFleur have the offense he wants. we got to let him build this thing out and get excited about it. Because there's a long track record of success when this thing actually gets rolling. As far as whether or not these players are going to be any good, and that's another issue, is most people think, well, A.J. Dillon isn't that good. Josiah DeGuara isn't that good. Jordan Love isn't going to play and isn't that good. Let's just see. That's a separate issue. And again, I I don't have... That was my impression. I didn't like Jordan Love. I didn't care for A.J. Dillon, especially in the second round. I didn't like Josiah DeGuara, especially that early. But I I don't have any reason to doubt Brian Gutekunst, who I feel like has done a pretty good job. Now, you got some crabby people on Twitter who want to point out all the misses while refusing to acknowledge that every team misses pretty much all the time. But I still believe Rashawn Gary is going to be a good football player. I do believe that. I think Darnell Savage is going to be a good football player. I think Jair Alexander is a very good football player. I think Elton Jenkins is going to be a phenomenal offensive guard. Why don't we just wait and see? Especially with A.J. Dillon. Think about offensive players that the Packers take early. When was the last time the Packers missed? Just try to get excited until there's a reason not to get excited, all right? But again, that's sort of the thought behind it, the theory behind it, the big picture behind it, and also what we have to look forward to. This thing, when it's fully operational, is a a work of art. And we've got one of the best quarterbacks in football to be able to run it. Not a lot of these other teams have had that. The Redskins had RG3. The 49ers have Garoppolo. The Rams have Goff. The two examples of good quarterbacks, Matt Ryan, they went to the Super Bowl in that first year that they took hold. Right? It was the second year, but it was the first year that it really started to take hold. Matt Ryan was the best quarterback in the NFL. Hands down. Matt Ryan is not the best quarterback in the NFL. He was that year. The other guy was John Elway. They won a Super Bowl in like two or three years after this thing took hold. There's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about this. There's plenty of reasons to be pep- pessimistic, but I mean, come on, take take a day and try to think about the upside here anyways that's all i got for you you folks have yourselves a fantastic day i will talk to you tomorrow have a good one bye-bye